0: Hello and welcome to this new edition of the Lakerside chat. I'm your host as always, Alan Ramich. With me is a guy who covers the NBA. More importantly, he covers the Washington Wizards. This is more of a general outlook on the NBA. Ben Mehich, welcome to the show, sir.
1: Alan, you know what's crazy? You're the first guy who's ever pronounced my last name, exactly how it should be pronounced. We got an all-Bosnian podcast. First one time with an English accent, one with the actual English accent. I don't know how to feel about it. It's still breaking my brain a little bit, but we're here.
0: <laughs> no, so nothing much happened yesterday, apart from the NBA trade deadline, the craziness that ensued.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, a, a ton happened. Um, you know, the Pistons got a, a bag of chips and a half-eaten sandwich for Andre Drummond, which was really cool.
0: Was It was definitely an experience and I feel like some of the best moves yesterday, we'll get onto it, were the teams that didn't just panic and make a move. But without further ado, there were some major trades, you did mention one of them. What did you think was, didn't have to be the biggest trade, what was the best trade in your opinion last night?
1: The best trade, oh man, I, I mean... um I think in the future we might see that Memphis trade with the with the Heat working out well for the Grizzlies. Um, it's not it's not often that you see a team win a trade after trading a 23 uh, year old um, really good rotation player for a 37 year old player who hasn't played in the entire season. Um, and just from you know my experience covering the Wizards last year the Wizards traded um Kelly Oubre for Trevor Ariza for kind of similar reasons they wanted a a veteran guy to stabilize the locker room uh make a playoff push uh just do what veterans typically do and obviously that backfired this is different uh in a way obviously Andre Iguodala is a lot more um a lot more um a highly esteemed player than than Trevor Ariza and he's a hall of fame player but he hasn't played an entire year I think he's 37 years old at this point um, they got a couple other guys back who, who probably won't. I don't know if Jay Crowder is going to be in the rotation or not. They, um, but I know that the Grizzlies have a really solid young core. Uh, Winslow is only 23 years old. Igadala might be out the league in in, uh, in two years. Meanwhile, Justice Winslow will just be entering his prime. So the best trade, I think, outlook for the future. I think Memphis got the better end of that deal. And we might look back in a couple years and, and scratch our heads thinking why the Heat ended up doing that. That trade.
0: I do think. I don't know what you think. I do think the Heat got better. I did. I've been saying from basically the first game of the season, there's just something about that Miami team where they're dangerous. They're really dangerous. They were basically missing a couple of guys who could defend the longer guys in the East, like the Giannises of the world. And I feel like I feel like Iguodala and Jay Crowder. I feel like. Those are two guys that you can throw at Giannis, especially Iguodala. Then you got Bam as well. Uh, I feel like the Heat are really dangerous. Like you said, long-term, I like the deal for Memphis a lot more because I think Justice Winslow is a perfect secondary playmaker to have alongside Jar to take some pressure off Jar as well, especially when you get into playoff moments and stuff, which I have no doubt that the Grizzlies will be there now for a long time to come. So... I don't know what you think, but I do think that the Miami Heat did get better short term, and I feel like this did, especially if that Al is anywhere close to where he's been the past few years, which we don't know yet. But if he is, I feel like that makes the Heat a lot better and a lot more viable in the Eastern Conference as well to get out of the East.
1: Yeah, I mean they got like you you mentioned Bam. Obviously Jimmy Butler's there. Uh, now you got Adalah. You got some dogs in, in Miami. They're obviously uh, like already one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. You throw Igadala in there, uh, Jay Crowder. I think people are still kind of hung up on how well he played in Boston, um, which I think was kind of a byproduct of having Marcus Smart next to him and 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 being in Brad Stevens' system. But um i don't know man i worry i worry about He hasn't played in a year we saw guys fall off really quickly i don't think it's an equivalent comparison but we saw how quickly mike conley fell off um in utah and that trade um hasn't really worked out very well for them so far i don't know i mean he hasn't played in the whole season he's 36 or 37 years old um have like you said like you need a wing i don't know if one even exists uh to guard a guy like Giannis. If you're throwing, I don't know. I I worry. I I guess it's a gamble worth taking for Miami since you're going for it. And I think they're right there with the best teams in the East. But, um, you know, it's something that I could see, you know, not really working out as well as they
0: expected. I, I agree with you on most of it. However, if there is one person that can make it work, I don't know how high you are in Eric Spolstra, but I think he is probably right now the best coach in the NBA just what he's done with the parts he's had. If you told me that Miami would be second in the East with a starting five of Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and Myers Leonard, I would say you are lying.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think that also, not to uh, take credit away from Coach Spo, but it just goes to show you how bad the East really is. I mean, that the, all those guys are solid rotation players, I think, on most teams, and they have, like... Ten seventh men on that roster, you know, and they're all good enough to make a difference and you throw Jimmy Butler into that mix and it'll propel you right there atop the East. And I think that's what they've done and, and credit to their, their um, scouts and their talent evaluation staff, because they've done a really good job finding guys like Kendrick Nunn and, and um, Duncan Robinson, who's no, who no one's ever heard of, you know, and, and they took a chance on Tyler Harrow and he's become, you know, an instant bucket and he's only 19 years old. So um, it's obviously panning off and, and they're going to be a tough, Tough matchup in the playoffs, whoever, whoever meets
0: them. No, and if anything, for me, I don't know what you think, because obviously you cover the East a lot more, being on the Wizards side. Um, Philly's been a disappointment this year. Boston's been better than I thought, but I don't think they're there yet. Indiana's very... It depends how good Oladipo continues to be from his injury return. I hope he is because Victor Oladipo is one of my favourite players in the NBA. But I feel like it's sort of... death Toronto as well. Forgetting Toronto. Pascal Siakam has been unbelievable. But I feel like the East is really there to take as the next best team alongside Milwaukee. And from that standpoint, I can absolutely see why Pat Riley took the risk and tried to bring in Iguodala. And to a lesser extent, Jay Crowder as well.
1: Yeah, and I don't know, like, I I was talking to my friend about this today, and and we were saying the same thing, like, wow, the East is wide open, you know. um, But, look, the Bucs are, like, on pace for 70 wins. Like, the second-best team, Toronto, has 37 wins. They're at 44. They're seven games behind the first season. So, like, I don't know if it's that wide open as, as we make it out to be. Like, we still sleep on Milwaukee, even though they might potentially win 70 games this year. It's insane to think about, you know.
0: No, it is. No, no, I agree with you on that. And just a disclaimer, I think Milwaukee are by far the best team in the East. However, it's just people either don't think Chris Middleton's like second star level, which I feel like
1: I I said that too when I was talking to my friend earlier. But like, why not? Just because he's not this because he doesn't have a shoe deal and like he's not on the cover <laughs> of magazines and stuff like sometimes i think we equate like he's he's not he's not quite the star that they need to be a second second guy on a really good team it's like obviously he might be they're, they're on pace for 70 wins he just scored 50 points a couple of weeks ago like this guy you know he's not legit flashy player. he's legit he's like more than legit i think mean, he's like <laughs> he, he's like a top all-star you know what i mean he's on like he's on the cusp of being an all nba player i think
0: i think he, he might
1: top. be I think he's a top twenty player in the NBA. And See, and he's, if, and I think maybe if he had a cool haircut and and some and some cool shoes or 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 dressed, you know, uh, kind of like kind of weirdly for doing. the purpose of getting eyeballs on him, we might care about him a little bit more. But you know, we could be wrong. I, I think he's he's really good.
0: You know, I think he's really good as well. And I, f- the only thing that worries me a little bit about milwaukee is the players around those two because we saw it a little bit last year george hill aside i I really like george hill i don't trust eric bledsoe in the playoffs i don't feel like he's a good enough space uh doesn't place the floor well enough floor spacer is what i wanted to say um brooke lopez got really cold last year in the playoffs um Kawhi's there, but Kawhi's like 39 now, and how much can you realistically rely on a 39-year-old whose defense wasn't great in his prime, let alone now? If there's anyone that can get him over that hump, though, it is Giannis.
1: <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It all goes back to him. Like, yeah, sure, Kyle Korver might be 39 years old, but here's Giannis putting up Shaq numbers. It's like you still, you might be sure he'll stop Kawhi, but who's not, who's really stopping Giannis? You know, I, I think the, a Raptors matchup would be interesting, but. Pascal Siakam guarding him but besides that I mean even like an trade, and I get I get why you'd do it um you know Iguodala might make life tough for him a little bit but ultimately it's like how much of a difference is that really going to make I'm not sure if it'll make any like they're kind of they remind me of um like the uh the Dwight Howard magic teams a little bit just because they have you know a ton of shooters theoretically around them Wes Matthews Pat Cunnington you mentioned George Hill. Brooke Lopez is, is now a three-point shooter, which is crazy to even think about. But um, So, yeah, they, they have some shooters around him. And just all in all, it's just, he's, he's just going to be tough to stop. Man. And it's crazy because last year we, I was thinking of Philly and, and Ben Simmons. is just like the perfect matchup for him, at least physically. And now we're, we're talking – we're not even talking about Philadelphia, really.
0: Well, I don't know what you think. Philadelphia are way too inconsistent for my liking way too inconsistent
1: yeah it seems like they hate each other and and like i've covered (laughs) i've covered wizards teams that genuinely did not like playing with each other and it really reminds me of that like they look like they're playing basketball like they have to do the dishes it's like i have to do this now i I get paid it's seven o'clock here we go you know it it, it doesn't look like they enjoy playing with each other at all and then people have mentioned wanting to break up ben simmons and and I hate the idea of breaking up two young players that good um, before they even hit their prime. But you look at them play, and it's just like they have no sort of joy whatsoever. And people, you can't measure joy. I guess you can in just in the standings now, but um, they don't look like they, they like playing with each other at all. No,
0: and I, I feel like the, the, that's the only reason why Miami does that move, in my opinion. If you add Gallinari to that move as well, like was supposed to be purported, then I'm like, okay, Miami wins that trade because I think Gallinari's that good. But like you said, I still feel like the gap to Milwaukee might just be a little bit too much for anyone to get to.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I was kind of surprised that, um, you know, Boston maybe didn't make another move. They I tried,
0: know. like they always do. You know what? <laughs> do they?
1: Someone I, I forget who reported, like, the Celtics really tried to get Bert Hans. It's like, hey, if you really wanted to get him, you could have gotten him. They set a price. It was two first-round picks, and then you didn't seemingly offer it to Washington. So you didn't get him. Like God knows what they offered him. They probably offered, like, Robert Williams and, um, like, a second-round pick in 2058. You know, it's like Danny Angel always does this, and it bites him in the butt when when, when it's most important.
0: No, um, it was Chris Mannix, who I don't know if you follow followed Chris Mannix for a while. He's basically Danny Ainge's mouthpiece. Right, right. It's like the Boston Celtics, they they tried their best. Yeah, it's just the other team, I don't
1: know what it was. It's like, come on, guys, we know what it was. You didn't want to offer Terry Rozier, even though he's not on your team anymore.
0: <laughs> no, but moving on to worst trade. What do you think was the worst trade to happen yesterday?
1: I mean, the Andre Drummond trade, as I mentioned earlier briefly, broke my heart. It's like this guy has played for two of the worst NBA cities, you know, like Detroit and, and Cleveland. And, and I mean, he said, like, I gave it my all. And I believe that like Andre Drummond for, for what he is got better every year, um, you know, back at Yukon, he could barely catch the basketball Ooh, think, and put it, yeah, yeah, put it on the ground. And, and he was dribbling the ball at points, like running it up the court, even hit a few threes. Like he was clearly getting better and they traded him for a bag of chips and a half eaten sandwich which is crazy. This was their franchise player, and they traded him for absolutely
0: nothing. And then they wanted two first-round picks for Derek Rose, which makes no sense. As much as Derek Rose has been fantastic this year, the outlay that they want for a player like Derek Rose and what they took for Andre Drummond was crazy. But I don't know what you think. The Clippers, um, I'm, we're a Lakers podcast, so we obviously follow what the Clippers do very closely as well. The Clippers have always been talking about how they have this glaring need at center. If that's all it took to get Andre Drummond, well, that's the trade that I would have made if I was the Clippers.
1: Yeah, I mean, now that you bring it up, I I didn't even consider that. Um, Yeah, I, I don't know how he ended up in Cleveland, why he ended up in Cleveland, why Cleveland even wanted him. Now they have this like 1985 center rotation with him and Tristan Thompson. Um, I, I don't know. I don't. I guess if you're Cleveland, you just expect that you won't be a free agent destination, and, and you fill that gap by trading for um, a future free agent. But like you said, there were other teams that definitely could have used him. Um, you know, Atlanta, they, they could have used him. They traded for Clint Capella. I, Clint Capella is probably a better player at this point. But you know, if that's all it took, there's virtually not a team in the league that couldn't have gotten him.
0: No, oh, it, it was just about making salaries match, wasn't it, in the end? Like they basically yeah. just gave him away for a salaries. They didn't even give him they did what they get a second round pick. It was in my opinion, it's ludicrous. And when I just saw it happen, I was there like, have the Cavs given up like three first round picks to get Andre Drummond because they realised they can't get anyone else in free agency? But then when I saw the outlet, I'm like, if I'm the Cavs, it doesn't matter how bad you know you are at the moment, that's a trade you do ninety eight times out of ten.
1: Yeah, it's crazy because look, when Blake got hurt earlier this year, um, the writing was on the wall. The Pistons weren't going to be very good. I assume that they could have gotten much more for Drummond earlier in the season. Um, Why they didn't pull the trigger on something earlier is beyond me. That's like GM malpractice. Like I, I can't think of a worse trade. That I've lived through, you know, like not this. I mean, I can't pretend like Andre Drummond is some Hall of Fame player and that, you know, he, he is an all star. He was an all star, at least. But like he's a quality big man and he runs the floor really well. He's a he's a good shot blocker. Um, he's, one, he's probably like a top 10 center in the league. No. And and to get that for him is mind blowing. Like my mom could have gotten a better deal for him and my mom doesn't even watch basketball
0: she does not know what Andre
1: Drummond is. she could have gotten a better deal for him that was insane to, to see that go
0: down no i i agree with you absolutely man it's just I, like you said i find it very mind-boggling that a like that went through multiple levels of an nba organization like surely at some point like someone would have said like what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, like you said, I mean, they, they have a
1: GM, an assistant GM, a bunch of guys who work for that front yeah. office, and, and everyone okayed it. And, and the owner okayed it. Like, mind-blowing. I, I don't get it. But by far, I, I thought the worst trade from
0: yesterday. I also thought that, you know, that, that just shows because there was rumors about him wanting to opt into next season's contract. And that's why the reason they got off him and then they're like, that's a really bad reason to get off Andre Drummond because you sold so low on him. Even if they just waited till the draft time, I feel like they could have got at least a mid a late lottery mid first round pick from someone from him.
1: Also, just keep him then. Like you're going to suck regardless, you know? Like you you suck now he's on your team putting up good numbers. You're going to suck with him next year too. It's like what, what? it's not going like to have a young big man waiting in the shadows to develop. It's like you have Christian Wood who's putting up good numbers in a bad team. It, it didn't hurt to keep them either. You're not going to be a free agent destination. You're developing young guys who really don't even have much upside, you know, it's like I, I don't get why they even, it was a, kind of like a teams are going to, or players are going to look at Detroit and I, I don't think they're going to be look at them terribly fondly. You know, like the, these guys, they all talk. Um, Drummond is, is well liked around NBA circles and in the locker rooms. Um, I don't think this, this really sits well with players getting traded a half an hour before the deadline, and um,
0: without getting old by it as well, like that was the uh, worst. Thing.
1: Ex- yeah, exactly. It's just like a compounding disaster how they how they handled that. And everyone knew he was in trade talks. Like they he was in the rumor mill for years, and to get into dump him essentially—that's insane. Like I, I don't get, I don't get how that was okay.
0: I agree with you. One one trade we haven't talked about yet is the Clippers trade for Marcus Morris. I don't know what you thought. But obviously, I think Marcus Morris is an improvement on Mo Harkless offensively. I think he's a much better shooter. I don't see it as the Clippers swinging the needle as much as everyone was trying to make out they were.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't think it. it yeah, it, it doesn't make them a guarantee. Uh, it doesn't guarantee them a championship. I think they. It almost seems like they made this trade just so the Lakers gonna get him. You know, obviously he would make life a little bit tougher for for Paul George and, and Kawhi if they met in the playoffs. Kind of seems like they're just like we don't we, we're not really sure if we want this guy, but we definitely don't want the Lakers to get him, so we'll get him anyway. And you know he'll be like you said he's better than Mo Harkless, so the fit won't be that odd. Um, he's kind of a ball stopper, but you know so is Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and, and that seems to be working okay. And if they play him off the bench. I think it could work, and, and Marcus Morris, if he if he's utilized correctly and if he cares, um, is a really good rotation player. He showed that in, in Boston, and he'll add some toughness to that team, and uh, maybe some not-so-good toughness, too. Um, but uh, I, I think it was a decent trade for them. Ultimately, I think the team with the best players um, is, is the one that ends up winning – winning uh most of the time and then he's a guy that adds some talent to that roster to an already very talented roster they have like 10 starters on that team seemingly and and that's another one so uh, i think all in all a, a good trade for the clippers
0: a good trade but i don't know what you think i think more is a better wing defender i don't see people trying to say oh marcus morris is this lebron stopper and a, the fact that we're talking about people being LeBron stoppers in LeBron's year 17 and age 35 season is incredible to me. Like, this like longevity this guy has is ridiculous. And B, surely the last time Marcus Morris faced him in a competitive series was when LeBron averaged like 36 a game against him <laughs> when, when he played for the Celtics.
1: Yeah, that, the LeBron, I don't, I don't know if you remember, remember Ruben Patterson? Yeah. back in like the early he called himself a kobe stopper he wasn't give he me up, a break I th-
0: fell after that as well
1: yeah there's there's no such thing as a lebron stopper there's no such thing as a kobe stopper if, if he has a bad game it's because he's having a bad game it's not because he's getting stopped by anyone certainly not getting stopped by marcus morris you know there's a reason why he's he's been a journeyman throughout his career and um uh, but look, I, I think there could be he'll have moments where he'll look like a really good defender and he'll do something and and he'll scream at the crowd and he'll get a technical foul and it'll it'll um, you know uh, rile the crowd up and, and rile the team up and uh, I think that makes a difference in the playoffs. You know, when he plays with passion, he's really good and and he seems to be clutch and that's good too. I, I don't know how many possessions he'll get in the fourth quarters with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, but you know if he has to, I, I wouldn't you know he's someone that you can, I guess, rely on down the stretch, too. And, it, and I think it takes some pressure off Lou Williams, too, to create off the bench. So, well, no, I don't think it's a bad trade for him. And, you know, worst-case scenario, they're the type of team that, you know, if it gets real ugly and if, you know, he's a problem or it doesn't work, like I don't, I don't, exactly like I don't think they'll have a problem benching them or doing whatever they need to do to you know keep going they're just they're a machine you know they're they're benching they're, they're benching and giving them rest they don't care what nobody what nobody says you know they're, they're aiming for a championship clearly clearly and I think they're positioning themselves really well to, to do that
0: no I agree but I am what I, what I do want to say about the Marcus Mori trade was I'm glad the Lakers didn't do that. I know that was going to be the next segment of, like, you know, because obviously this is a Lakers podcast, so I'd want to touch on the Lakers a little bit. I'm really happy we didn't trade for Marcus Morris just because of what New York was asking for it. I mean, like, mad respect to New York trying to get that from the Lakers. However, if I'm the Lakers and I do that deal, I'm legitimately worried as a fan and as a guy who covers the Lakers.
1: Yeah, and I, I look, at what's really underrated, probably not in, for you because you cover the team and you follow them closely, but uh, just from watching them from a periphery, it's really rare that you get a team that enjoys playing with each other. Um, and, and throwing a guy like Morris, not to say that he's a bad teammate, I don't think he is at all. Obviously, he's a volatile guy. He, he'll say some things that are off-putting, and and he's tough to tough to really root for, to be honest with you, but... You know, throwing a guy into that sort of element, he might rub people the wrong way. Everyone's a consummate professional in that in that Lakers locker room. You don't want to mess with that, you know. And and Kyle Kuzma, he's handled the trade room is really well. Um, seems to be really well liked in that locker room too. So, yeah, I think good on them for standing pat and just running with what they have. And it looks like they'll add Darren Collison. So by way of just free agency, so they didn't really need to make a move. So um, I think yeah, good good on their management for um. Yeah, you know, sticking sticking with what they have.
0: I mean from what I heard, um, this is obviously through back channeling and whatnot. I heard that at one point the Knicks were asking for Caruso Green and Kuzma. And if you're the Lakers, A, I'm hanging up the phone straight away. <laughs> and B, I can't believe the Knicks had even tried that when they when in the end all they got was Mo Harkless who it seems like he's willing to be bought out, and if he is, then the Knicks will buy him out, and then just a the late round, first late first round pick. You know, it's a big jump from what they asked for from the Lakers. Where I think Danny Green's—I don't know what you think—because everyone's watched Danny Green the past eight years. I think Danny Green's a better player than Marcus Morris just by himself. Asking for all three, I feel like it's just absurd.
1: Yeah, and that's why the Knicks are the Knicks, right? I mean, you, you overshoot and you end up with what you got, you know. I'm sure maybe that's why the Pistons ended up only getting what they got for, um, for Drummond. Maybe they were overshooting earlier in the season for, you know, asking for an absurd amount and ended up getting what they got. So, yeah, you're right. I, I don't know if Danny Green individually is a better player than Marcus Morris, but I'd rather have him on my team, that's for sure. Like you can expect him to hit, hit clutch shots in the playoffs. He's a really good defender when you need him to be um a a great locker room guy and a champion and that's something that you know marcus mars probably isn't
0: no i agree and i don't know about you i'm sure you've watched some some laker games this year and i feel like there's one problem on the lakers and i'm sure you'll attest to it by watching us when Rashawn rondo's on the court it's really really bad and it's really really obvious to everyone (laughs)
1: Yeah. And I think that's been the case. I mean, besides that, you know, the, that kind of a weird series that he had for, um, for new Orleans, and he had a couple good stretches for Sacramento, you know, I, the, yeah, I hate to say this, but you know, Rondo's probably only in the NBA getting minutes because his name is Ray Rondo at this point. And um you know, I, I don't know how many how many minutes they'll be getting in the playoffs. They'll probably shorten their rotation. And if they add Darren Carlson, he might just, you know, straight up take his spot in in the rotation anyway. But yeah, I mean that's a problem now. I don't know how much of a of a problem it'll be come playoff time when you know LeBron's handling the ball for literally the entire game anyway.
0: I have a theory about it. I as you know, you know, in the NBA politics are very important. And With politics in mind, I feel like Vogel doesn't want to upset the apple cart too much throughout the season. So he's willing to take an extra three or four or five losses in games where they shouldn't lose by playing Rondo. And then obviously, like we all saw Darren Collison at Staples last night. I feel like we can, unless it's grade A trolling by Darren Collison, and if it (laughs) is, credit to him because he's doing a great job right now but I don't think it is. I feel like people, like you said, people in the NBA talk. If you do that to one franchise, what will stop you doing that to another franchise? Um, I feel like once Darison, Darren Collison comes, I feel like, like you said, I feel like he does take his rotational spot and jumping from a rotation where you have no one who can, apart from LeBron, who can abuse the pick and roll to having Darren Collison, who's actually very good at uh, taking, uh, uh, being a uh, guard in a pick and roll it just helps open up the offense for other people, especially when LeBron's off the floor, where it won't, like you said, it might only be nine or 10 minutes in the playoffs, but then nine or 10 minutes is almost an entire quarter, and it's vital that you don't fall behind the eight ball too much as well.
1: Yeah, and Rondo's uh, reputation is having you know a really high basketball IQ. He might even coach one day. Um, that's probably keeping him around too, but like you said, I don't really anticipate him having much of a role uh, come playoff time, and he might even get nudged soon with with the Collison move. No. But you know, I'm curious. Um, Quinn Cook probably had you know. I, I don't. I don't think he's been in the lineup, right?
0: No, he's not. He basically gets on for
1: garbage time. That's you know. I I don't know. Maybe I'm just biased, but um, I think he's he could be decent.
0: I think so too. But like I said, if the Lakers have always had the cause the Collison thing's been thrown around since basically almost the start of the season. It came out no end of November, beginning of December, if I remember correctly, that Collison was already thinking about coming back. If the Lakers have known about that since then, I can sort of see why they've avoided taking Rondo out the rotation now. Right. And then waiting for Collison to come in. Just because, as you know, you know, I don't have to explain to you. You're in Washington, where politics run rife. You know, not just basketball, but you know, right. um, you know, you cover that that franchise. Um, it. I feel like it is a way. At least I'm hoping it is. I hope we don't squeeze Caruso's minutes out the rotation because that would just be, you know, as a Laker fan, I, I would hate to root against the Lakers, but it would just be a case of like, that's what you deserve if you continue to play. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't see that happening. I mean, Crusoe is a viable defender. Um, He doesn't take away anything from the team. Rondo is just basically unplayable. Um, I I don't see that happening. You know, that coaching staff has done a really good job this year. That's probably the most surprising thing. That that team, I I thought at the beginning of the season, um, they had a potential to really misfire. You know, I thought they were going to rely on Dwight Howard. He played nine games in Washington. Um, Had another back surgery. I think it was his second uh, you know, pretty serious back surgery. They signed him to a partially guaranteed deal. You're signing guys like Rondo. They didn't have a ton of shooting. You hire like three head coaches. Essentially, I thought I thought Lionel Hollins or Jason Kidd were going to poison uh, the head coach at, at some point. I was like, this might end up being like some Game of Thrones type situation where they're just trying to take that coaching job. But it's all meshed really well, and and they're and they're you know probably this probably the second best team in the NBA at this point.
0: Well, when when I talk about the Lakers, well, a lot of people people are panicking because obviously the, the Houston loss last night where Houston just shot the lights out. Like, if you lose a game like that and you are still in the game with basically up until the end, up until Robert Covington hits that contested free on Anthony Davis, I'm not too worried about that game because I feel like that's like the best that Houston can play. And that's probably like one of the worst games the Lakers could possibly have against a team like that as well. And like I said, if anyone told me that 50 games in would be 38 and 12, I'd bite your arm off for it. (laughs) If you remember at the start of the year, people were trying to make a case that a team with LeBron and AD wouldn't make the playoffs. And I'm still like, no matter how bad it gets, that team's making the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you if you I don't know who the hell made that argument, that's just that's absurd. But, um, yeah, they've they've been really good. Um, You know, they have two of probably the best players in the NBA, not named Giannis and James Harden. So um, they're going to be a really tough out um, come playoff time. And, you know, I am surprised that they didn't make another move just to kind of bolster their rotation and add some depth. But, you know, thinking back, it's like, why? Why make that move? You know?
0: Unless you're going to get considerably, considerably better, there's no point in just making moves for the right. sake of making moves. You know, that's why, because last year, I don't know if you remember when we traded Ivica Zubats for Mike Muscala. Yeah. And then we traded Svi Mihailuk for Reggie Bullock. Svi looks really good now in Detroit. And that's a guy that definitely could have helped this year. And Zubats would have helped a lot as well, when, especially when the Marcus Cousins went down. You know, and I know we got Dwight, and Dwight's been phenomenal, which I was not expecting. Dwight's Dwight's a fan favourite now, which I was not expecting whatsoever, you know. So, all in all, it's worked out brilliantly. But obviously, like you said, the buyout market's going to be very key for the Lakers. And just in, you know, in keeping with that, what are some potential names that you could potentially think of that could lead... To being available in the free agent market in the next 10, two weeks or so, 10 days, two weeks. Yeah, I was thinking about that um,
1: earlier, too. You mentioned Mo Harkless, and I was thinking the teams that could probably use him. Um I, I think guys like you know, Mo, Mo Harkless could be a really good fit anywhere just because he's a good wing defender, a good 3-and-D three, three guy, won't take much away from your offense, doesn't do a lot. Um, another interesting name, I think, to watch for the Lakers, it's, it seemed like they had talks with J.R. Smith or they were – Thinking about working him out or something like that. Why not think about signing a younger version? Right, Deion Waiters is probably going to get bought out soon. Um, he's he's eight years in the league. Hear me out. He, he's eight. He's eight years in the league. Um, he's doing edibles on airplanes. I don't think he played <laughs> a single. I don't think he played a single game for the Heat this year, and rightfully so. He's at a point in his career where you know if he doesn't find a way to salvage it within the next few months before the playoffs start. His career might honestly be over. He might end up playing for Marbury in China if he doesn't get, get his stuff together soon. He's a guy, if motivated, I think could add something to a playoff team. There's no better way to get motivated than to play with LeBron James. I think he's been humbled. Um, you know, This is a guy who strut his talent a lot, um, got away with just being immensely talented, but not probably the best teammate, a little bit too arrogant. Um, and, and got hit hard this year. His reputation has taken a hit. I think he's embarrassed. Um, you know, I, I know that he went back to Syracuse to hang out with Jim Boeheim. Uh I, I think he's been humbled, and, and he could end up you know, having a sort of reassurgence for the team like, like the Lakers. So that's a guy to definitely watch for. What do you, what do you think? Are you just completely out on the Dion Waiters camp? I don't, I don't blame you if you are.
0: I was about to say Dion Waiters is a known client of Clutch Sports. So, that could definitely be a potential option. I don't mind J.R. Smith. People are down on J.R. Smith. If J.R. Smith is... Because J.R. Smith, especially in Cleveland, his his abilities weren't predicated on his athleticism. So, if he's even the same player that he was in Cleveland, I can completely understand the Lakers wanting to do that deal. Especially because it's someone that LeBron trusts as well. I like the... I think giving like a deal on weight as an opportunity would be fine. You know, like, I'm, I'm not out of that, but I am worried that in a state where weed is openly legal and available, that he will do something stupid. Um, that's the only thing I'm worried about. But if he does a test to, like, doing constant drugs tests and, you know, making every, making sure everything's above board, then I, I, I could get behind it. Like you said, the talent is not... The problem with Dion Waiters, Dion Waiters is a supremely talented individual who has proven that he can be a very, very good player in the NBA. It's the temperament, and that's the only thing that worries with me with Dion Waiters.
1: Yeah, and and he's shown like when he's disciplined. I mean, he lost a ton of weight. I think it was like two summers ago. It was phenomenal um, in Miami. Yeah, and then he got hurt, and I think that set him back. I don't know, man. Maybe he, he's been having some issues. I, th- I think they have a crew out there in Miami that just really enjoyed the weed a little bit too much. And if, <laughs> I, I think it's tough, man. I think I think you put him with a guy like LeBron. I think he, you know. I, I don't know if he'd want to embarrass himself uh, out there doing that sort of thing. For the love of God, Dan, just don't do edibles. You know, smoke every now and then. Do whatever you got to do, but don't don't take edibles on an airplane. I, I don't know. I don't know if he'd do that in L.A.
0: I was about to say, like, even if you are doing edibles, don't do them on a plane. <laughs> Some might say that's the best time own. to do them. Do them in the sanctuary of your own home, <laughs> where even if you do trip out, no one's seeing your trip out. You know, you won't get in trouble for it. Your NBA team won't find out about it. <laughs> that's the most right. important thing. Don't do edibles on a plane to Los Angeles with your team president and head coach on board. That's all I'm going to say on the matter.
1: And look, I, I mean, another, other guys, I mean, Brandon Knight, I don't know if he'll stick around in, in Detroit. He's kind of an interesting guy. Um, you know, uh, DeAndre Jordan took his soul like six, seven years ago with that dunk. Kyrie Irving embarrassed him a ton with those crossovers. But he's known for that and, and being on the wrong side of highlights. But there was a point where Brandon Knight was like a viable, decent he's starting point, yeah. starting point guard. I don't know how healthy he is and whatnot, but if Darren Collison doesn't end up coming back and Brandon Knight's healthy, uh, that's another guy that you can add to your rotation, probably nudge Rondo out and, and, um, and probably get some serviceable minutes out of him.
0: The two players that I do see signing for the Lakers, especially, I don't know if you've seen the reports as well, there have been reports that Mo Harkless also met, you know, when yeah. Darren Collison had his meal with the Lakers last night before the game that Mo Harkless was there as well, um, because they share the same agent. So if they are having meetings and stuff, and the Knicks have already said that they're open to, you know, if Harkless wants the buyout, they'll give him the buyout. I feel like those two are the most likely, especially because there's been a lot of rumours as well that Harkless doesn't want to leave LA. So because of that, I feel like that's also a a very big, you know, it's it's basically hitting you in the face. It's the elephant in the room, isn't it? Like, you get all these reports, but it's like when Bill Simmons was talking about LeBron going to L.A., and I don't know if you remember that, where Bill Simmons was constantly talking about, like, yeah, there's enough signs there, if you want to read it, that LeBron wants to go to the Lakers. It's just whether you want to look at the signs or not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think Mo Harkless can make a bit of a difference. Um, he's a good defender, like we talked about. A solid rotation player for a playoff team,
0: so sorry. Um, he's definitely shooting 37 38 from free as well. You know, th- that's more than serviceable. That's almost elite levels of three point shooting. So, if you can get someone like that in for the playoff run alongside Darren Collison, if you can get those two, the other two names that spring to mind for me are Marvin Williams and Michael Kidd Gilchrist from the Hornets. I feel like those two could also be viable options on a on a LeBron team as well.
1: Oh man, I don't I don't know. Marvin Williams seems like he doesn't even want to play basketball anymore, and I don't blame him. Just being in, in the abyss that is Charlotte uh, for for as long as he has. That's crazy that he's been there for as long as he has. And and Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, I get that they're developing young guys, but he's not an old guy. He's like twenty six years old, isn't he? And he's it's been
0: crazy. out
1: there. Rot- That's insane, and and he's been out there rotation this whole season I don't think they have any desire to play him and I don't think he's a part of their future but he's another guy like Rondo uh, I don't know how much of an impact he'll have on the offensive side of the ball and and you take that it's like is it worth playing him just for his pretty good defense I don't I don't know it's just I'd, I'd rather Mo Harkless
0: no I agree with you but you're just trying to find options in this trade deadline as well uh, the buyout deadline sorry I've been yeah, so infatuated with the trade deadline the past couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, it's, it's hard to keep up. I, I mean, at this point, I don't know where Jordan Bell plays. He might play for a Cillessen at this point. Like, I have no idea where where Jordan Bell is. Like, there's so many guys that have been moved multiple times. I think, you know, that Memphis, uh, not, not the Memphis trade. Excuse me, the, the Minnesota trade. There was, I think, it was 14 guys in in the deal. Yeah, crazy. Absolutely insane. I mean, we didn't even touch on that yet.
0: Well, first of all, shout-outs to the Houston Rockets for just going all-in on small ball. If you're going to make it work, at least you're going to go all the way, and they they are trying, so credit to them for that. But apart from that, and obviously Atlanta getting Capella, but Minnesota didn't really get much. And Denver really just wanted expiring contracts, didn't they?
1: Yeah, but I, I honestly love that trade. Like you talked about, shout out to the Rockets. Because, look, they're, I love their owner, too. Because I think it's pretty, they've been pretty transparent, right? I mean, they've given Daryl Morey and uh, Mike D'Antoni the keys. And they've let them do whatever the hell they've wanted, right? And the Chris Paul trade, I don't know if if it'll work out. It hasn't so far. Chris Paul's probably a better player than Russell Westbrook. But they took a chance on Westbrook. Um, Now they're taking this other massive chance by just not playing with the center. They're letting them just, if it doesn't work, they're putting all the chips on the table and, and, and seeing whether or not it works. A lot of teams, they'll write out their best player when they're in their prime and not get anything out of it. I mean, James Harden is, what, 28, 29 years old at this point. They know that you know the the window is closing, you know, and and instead of riding it out and and you know getting another second round exit and just being content, they're putting all the chips on the table and just rocking with this this small ball. Um, Mike D'Antoni would 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 uh, get upset if he heard us say that. He'd call it skill ball, and I kind of agree with that until Anthony Davis is on the court and you have uh, you know. A 6'5", P.J. Tucker guarding him. I think James Harden jumped tip against um, JaVale McGee last, yesterday, which is absurd. Yeah. So I think that is – I like the skill ball concept and how they're riding with that. But um, you got to be realistic at some point. Uh, I think the lack of height is going to hurt them, obviously. But I love the fact that they're just like, you know what, to hell with it. We're going to go – we're going to do this and, and, and see whether or not it
0: works. The only thing, okay. I, the only thing with Jordan Bell is – I feel like he's the perfect like hybrid like big to have in like that type of system. I don't know about you, but like I feel like he would have worked as like the only like quote unquote big in the rotation coming off the bench. I don't. I don't where is he now? Memphis.
1: <laughs> okay,
0: and and he's probably is he a buyout candidate? He
1: might be a buyout candidate too. I mean, who he knows? signed
0: a two-year deal, I think. So I don't. Oh, think he, he did. did.
1: Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, like, yeah. I, I guess Bruno Caboclo—he's kind of a guy that the, they expect to play at center.
0: The guy who's two years away from being two years away. I he think he's. Out. I think he's
1: somehow six years away from being two years away now. I think he's backed up in the timeline somehow.
0: You know, it's the NBA. You know, you never get bored of it, do you? <laughs>
1: It's never ending. I remember not long ago, like the season would end and, and the season would end and you'd have to wait um, until October. But now it's like, it's never ending. It's cold. You, have, yeah, you have chaos during the middle of the season with the trade deadline and then obviously the draft and free agency, which is just even more chaotic.
0: And Summer last. League. And then right. it all just rolls into one big, huge season, doesn't it? It's, I mean, I love it, you know? Same here. Before we round off, I was. I will thank you for being on the show but I will thank you again afterwards I am getting all my guests from now on to give their number one Kobe moment seeing as this is a Lakers podcast and obviously it was very sad what happened we discussed it um, privately but I want your number one Kobe moment your favourite Kobe moment what is it?
1: Oh, man, that's, you know, you asked me to think of one uh, before before I got on. And I, I didn't want to be cliche, but inevitably you do. Um, one that really stuck out, I think it was in like 2005. So I was probably like nine years old at that point. I uh, just started getting into basketball. And, and these guys were just like superheroes. You'd watch them, you'd watch them play and it'd, it'd be absolutely absurd to, to just – you know, uh, even understand how these human beings can do what they do. But Kobe just stuck out more than anybody else. Even at that age, you can realize that something was different about this guy. Just the way he moved, it was a lot smoother than even the other really good superheroes. It was just, he was perfect. It seemed like he had mastered the game while everyone else was maybe 85, 90% there. Kobe was 100% there. And what I remember really standing out was, um, you know, the one moment where I remember being like, holy crap, Kobe is an actual superhero was when he dunked on Steve Nash. Uh, I think it was 2004. Uh, I just remember being a kid and, and watching it on CNN. Like it was that big. Kobe had just basically just ended this MVP, it seemed like. It was a logo. Like the way he jumped and just, it was superhuman the way he did it. The way he contorted his body and just how Steve Nash was so vulnerable. And there was just something so even primal about it. It was something like you were watching a National Geographic Thing where this like this mamba was, was, was taking this other animal and doing whatever the hell he wanted with it. So that moment really stucks out just from the realization of how good and how powerful and how amazing he was as a kid to realize uh, at that moment, at that dunk, just that one highlight. And another one, um, his last game, obviously, cliche against the Jazz. I was on the phone with my friend. And it's not often where you get those youthful moments where you're just, you feel like a kid again. And at that time, he was just obviously he was shooting every time he touched the ball, and I was I was laughing with my friend on the phone and being like, "There goes Kobe, like he's doing it again." But then when he started getting hit, when he started getting hot in the fourth quarter, um, and and he hit that shot, uh, that game winning shot, um, you know, just the flood of memories that I was getting watching him do what Kobe always did, growing up, scored sixty points. It was just remarkable, and and it was such a Kobe way to go out. And obviously his speech afterward, it was just. You know, I, I mean, I'm speechless just thinking about it, how his life in a way and how his career was a storybook and how and how tragic it was and how tragic uh, that that was how he went out. Um, in a way, it just encapsulates the this, this sort of the sort of mythical being that he is. Um, he's it's just. That, that, that his final game, I thought, was, I just remember thinking, how is the world even operating this way? How is he doing this in his last game? He's hitting game winners. He's being Kobe again. When I, I remember watching guys and all their Hall of Famers when they're going out. They, look, they don't look like themselves. You know, It's like sad to watch, but Kobe, it was like, it's Kobe. He's still Kobe. He's still doing it. He's still, one, one final time, he's going to ruin the Jazz's day. One more time. And that's just the, that's just the player he was. Um, that, that moment definitely uh, was probably the most powerful for me just because it, it brought back so many memories of him growing up, watching him and just being so in awe of, of what he was as a player. And, and uh, I'm sorry I'm ranting here, but he was just so much bigger than basketball and everyone knew that. It, it, and he knew that too. And that's why his confidence was so warranted and his arrogance was so warranted because he knew how great he was. He, he, it was like he was a prophet for basketball, it seemed. Um, he came and, and he, he he left his mark on the game that will that will forever remain. Um, I grew up hating Kobe for the purpose of hating Kobe. I loved him deep down just as every other Kobe hater did um my brother loved kobe my dad loved kobe and i remember used to just get under their skin and say things like gilbert's better than him uh, tracy McGrady's better than him and they'd and they'd look at me and my dad would be like nice not my man, like what are you talking about he's they're not <laughs> like you you know you don't believe that and of course i knew i didn't believe that but i'd say it just to just to uh get under my dad and my brother's skin and uh you know to this day um my my favorite memories um watching basketball were those watching kobe watching his matchups with lebron a younger lebron t mac you know paul pierce those those finals uh in the late 2000s those were remarkable as a kid and thinking like wow this is what it was watching the old school celtics lakers rivalries except it's revamped and and might be even better they hated each other that was the last sort of matchups that i remember thinking like these teams really don't like each other you know you you watch them you know uh really destroy the, the Orlando magic and it was cool after you know they shook hands and it was all good like Orlando even expected to lose seemingly and everyone knew it but you know after that Celtics Lakers matchups you could you can feel the tension like you you couldn't wait for the next time they played each other and and that can't be replicated and it's all because of Kobe and and he's dearly missed and i think about him every day from i go to bed thinking about him i wake up thinking about him and it's such a tragedy that he's gone but so lucky to have to have watched him play live um so lucky to have those memories and and we'll have those forever so definitely grateful for kobe bryant and and everything he's done for the game
0: no absolutely i think you put it beautifully as well it wasn't a rant it was more like a lovely monologue about kobe bryant so thank you for that now tell people where they can find your work where they can follow you where they can interact with you online as well Close yours yeah you, you can follow me at ben Mahich uh
1: nba um b n b h i c nba if you want to hear me actually or see me rather read read some positive tweets about the wizards that's where you can find me um it's been a long time since i could say that the team has been bad for for quite some time but actually doing some good things now and, and um, I, I cover them for the washington city paper uh do some analysis there and bullets forever as well so thank you for for having me on the podcast and for letting me talk about Kobe and the trades that went
0: down no i appreciate it, and i hope we can do this more often i really enjoyed it yeah absolutely thank you man no no problem thank you to everyone listening hope you can be gracious enough to leave us a five star review on iTunes Apple Podcasts keep on doing it i don't think i'll ever stop i'm getting old um thank you for listening hope you have a great night Take care.